All right, let's read this passage out of uh, Matthew chapter 13. I'm going to read eight verses, and then I'm going to go to verse three, and that's where we're going to focus on today. That same day, Jesus went out of the house, and he sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat, and he sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the pathway and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. In this passage, Jesus says, <clears throat> the kingdom of heaven is like. And that, that's how you know it's a parable. And whenever he says that, it's really quite something because he, he, he's taking a very simple process, something a child can understand, something that's so basic, to introduce us to a realm that his life and death and resurrection is about to usher us into, all right? He's introducing us to a realm whose ways are higher than our ways, whose ways are more life-giving than our ways, and whose thoughts are more fruitful than our natural thinking. So Jesus is introducing us to the kingdom of heaven, and his whole life and ministry was to bring us, to usher us into that kingdom, And so the botanical process of seed growth is exactly the picture that Christ is giving us. This is what happens when God's words find a heart full of faith. Good seed plus good soil always equal amazing increase. Even if it's only 30 times, that's still big. If it's 100 times, well, That's a lottery. But 30 times, God's word plus a heart of faith always equals amazing increase. And so, as you know, the farmer is God. The seed is his words. And let me just say that God's word is the scripture. God's words are the way he speaks to you and communicates to you. And whenever I refer to God's words, I'm talking about thoughts that, that drop into your heart and mind that are consistent, that are in alignment with the word of God, that are full of grace, full of love, and full of truth. Okay? And so God's constantly speaking. And God's words go out to us. I want to tell you that this passage this morning, I I have a funny feeling. I might be wrong, but I have such a strong sense that this is a bit of a prophetic word because God wants to speak to you. There are things that he wants to drop into your heart that you have not yet heard. There are ideas that, that, that he wants to give you that you've not thought of. There are futures that he wants to drop onto the canvas of your imagination and watch them come alive and watch them bring on dimension and life and breath that they don't have. I think God wants to speak to you. 
I've always, like, I've believed. I don't know much about 2017, and sometimes I don't know if what I believe is about what I ate the last. But I, I have this sense that, that foundations have been built in your life, and God's about, you're about to see structure. You're about to see, you know, when the, when the, the foundation's poured and the basement's poured, you still can't see every, anything because it's all underground. And then very quickly the house comes together. And I have a sense that so much of what God is doing has been uh, groundwork and foundation work. And now, I think 2017, we're going to begin to see some things. And so heaven's seed, is it possible? I submit to you that heaven's seed are God's thoughts, God's ideas given to you. They're God's thoughts of hope. You say, how do you know they're God's thoughts and they're, they're not my thoughts? Well, I don't know, actually. Except for that, I know this about God's thoughts. God's thoughts shift us at the core. They drop into our souls and they <clears throat> begin to, to, to move us around. They become so, so powerful in us and so, uh, not, I won't say loud, but so, so uh, significant inside of us that you, you can't ha- help but start moving around it. God's words get inside of us and they shift our core. Heaven's seed are God's dream for your future that he puts on your imagination. It's, it's, it's God's thoughts about the people around you. You know they're his thoughts when they're full of grace. See, the farmer goes out to sow seed every single day. And the question begs asking, what kind of soil are you? What kind of soil? And you know what? To, to be able to receive seed of God's word, you got to actually be quiet enough in your own soul, in your own mind, in your own being. There has to be enough margin in your life that you can breathe at points and times which is really hard for most of us. Most of us like being busy. Most of us have said yes so much that we have no time to listen. And, and, uh, and I guess if anything, uh, good soil uh, it needs to be quiet soil. Maybe not so much in terms of activity, but quiet at the level of the heart. Because if the tiniest seed is protected, the tiniest thought that God puts in your heart is protected, it can blossom into an incredibly powerful life. I'm going to share a story with you. And, 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 and in the last 10 years, I've shared this story a number of times, but I couldn't think of a better illustration. And it's still a great story. When Mother Teresa was shifting her ministry, she was a school teacher in India. And one of her very first visits to the city of Calcutta, she was walking around the city as a tourist. And she was overwhelmed by the oppressiveness of, of that city and the grayness and, and the fact that you look down almost any alley and you will see people laying half dead, if not completely dead. And, and, and the sick and the dying were everywhere. And she saw in the distance there was, a, there was a, a, a white building, brand new and beautiful. And so she, she went and she walked towards it and found that it was a, a new hospital. And she noticed that the, the, the grounds around the hospital were manicured and beautiful and well kept. 
She walked up to the front of this beautiful building and then something out of the corner of her eye moved and she saw there was a woman who had dragged herself from who knows how far to get to the hospital to get help because you see the woman's feet and ankles had been eaten by rats. The woman collapsed across the street from the front of the hospital. Mother Teresa saw her and had never actually seen anything like this. She picked the woman up and took her into the hospital. When the doors opened and the admitting nurse saw this, she said, stop, whoa, get that thing out of here. She's diseased, go. And Mother Teresa, she didn't know what to do. And she stood there holding this emaciated woman and, and said, I'm not leaving until you take care of her. And the war of wills was on. And the little nun won. And they took the, the woman into a, a room and they cleaned and bandaged her, her legs. And the woman died. And they brought notice out to Mother Teresa, who was in the waiting room. And, and the admitting nurse brought the news. She sneered at the little nun. She said, what difference did it make? I told you she was diseased. She, she took up a bed for two hours and then she died. What difference did it make? And the next words that came out of Mother Teresa's heart and mouth were not rehearsed. In fact, not even sure she'd ever formed these thoughts before. Have you ever actually said something and words come out of your mouth and you go, holy moly, that was amazing. There's a really good chance that at another source, okay? God had to skip your pea brain to get that information out of your mouth, all right? So, so you just kind of jumped the. And she said these words. She said, it's true. She said, it's true. She died. And I'm sorry she took up a bed. But this woman was forced to live like an animal for her entire life. Today, at least today, she died like a human being. You see, Mother Teresa left the hospital that day, but something never left her heart, and it was those words. Those words shifted her at the core. There was something about that moment, that experience, and that revelation that, that she could not let go. It wouldn't leave her until she quit her job as a teacher. And she got permission, and this is a long process because she had to get permission from the Catholic Church to, to shift her ministry into the city of Calcutta. And there was lots of application and a long process. But she wouldn't let it go. And she moved into the city of Calcutta and she rented a building. And she borrowed and begged mattresses and beds from anybody she could get them. And she cared for the sick and the dying and if she couldn't heal them, she made sure somebody sat with them and prayed for them and held their hand and so they could die like a human being. They lived like an animal, but they died like a human being. You see, when living seed finds, meets a receptive heart, the fruit is amazing. The increase is extraordinary. Today, I mean, as we know, that's what we know Mother Teresa for, don't we? That part of her life. She'd lived an entire life before that. 
We don't know anything about that. But that moment, she hit the stage of, of, and she, she got onto the lens or onto the stage of the world's consciousness. Today, there are thousands and thousands of those kinds of missions all over the world in over 100 countries. That's good seed. Let me tell you something about the seed. The seed is really, really good. The seed is top quality. No problem with the seed. Don't question the seed. Don't question the word of God when it comes. Don't question the caliber of the word or the quality of it. That's not the problem. The problem is, can he find good soil? And all of this happened one morning because a farmer went out to sow some seed in Calcutta. You see, the farmer went out to sow some seed in Kelowna this week. Did you get any? Because one God thought can change everything. One God thought can change everything. He was born in Grand Prairie, Alberta. His parents were missionaries and so as a young child, he was moved to Papua New Guinea, and that's where he was raised. He became an adult and moved back to the United States. He got married. He started working in a warehouse. Actually, that was his job. He was a warehouse worker. And his wife, she, she worked in the high school cafeteria. And they had six children. And they were a simple family just trying real hard to make ends meet. They were simple people in a simple little community. He had a couple of hobbies, one of which was writing. Didn't really take it too seriously. Until one day his wife got in his face and demanded and insisted that he write something down so that his six children would understand the way he processes God. His six children could actually understand an incredible healing that took place in his heart as an adult. And so he put his thoughts to paper. He used a story form to, to somehow articulate his experience with God and this great healing that he'd experienced. He, he made 15 copies of this manuscript, gave them to his children, gave them to his parents, gave them to his family. It was a simple manuscript because it was a simple life and it was a simple message that we know of as the book called The Shack. And in 2008, that book became the number one, the, the, the number one best-selling fiction in the entire United States for an entire year. That is the power of good seed when it finds good soil. So there's no problem with the seed. And if you've got an open heart, then you need to protect the seed when it finds the soil. Verse 4 goes on to say, And as he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path. But the birds came and ate it up. Let me tell you this. Where there is good seed, there is birds. All right? Where there is good seed, where there is a God thought, there is a critic. Where there is a, a belief, there is a naysayer. If God puts something inside of you, prepare for the hit. It's like I watch a wide receiver 
stretch out, catch this beautiful pass. You know what? If it's a beautiful pass and it's an amazing catch, there's a cornerback ready to kill the guy. And it seems the bigger, the more significant the seed, the bigger the hit. And there'll be challenges and there'll be criticism. Mother Teresa, she could have got offended by the nurse, the barking nurse, and she could have walked out. And I don't know how the story would have played out. But remember this, that there is a battle before every breakthrough in your life. There is a battle. Actually, the truth of the matter is there's a battle before and after every breakthrough in your life. Because what the enemy will do is try to steal the seed once it's deposited in your life, in your mind, and in your heart. And you, you go, no, 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 I'm hanging on to this. But then he'll come behind and try and suffocate it. He'll try and suffocate it. And one of the ways the enemy suffocates the seeds that God places in our hearts is when we get offended. When we get offended. When someone questions you or criticizes you and talks about you behind your back. By the way, everybody talks about you behind your back because you talk about everybody behind their back. And why is that such a surprise to you? Don't you think that's interesting? By the way, did you hear? And we go on and on and on. And then, and when we hear somebody actually did that about us, we're aghast. We wonder this injustice. How is this? How is there a God in heaven that this happened to me? And when people start to talk about you or lie about you, it sucks the kumbaya right out of you. And so you get hurt, all right? And by the way, you want to get hurt? Go to church. You'll get hurt. Want to know why? Because there are people in the room. And when there's this many people, you will get your heart stepped on. You'll get your toes stepped on. You'll get your beliefs stepped on. Somebody's going to offend the way you look at the world and look at God. Just get used to it. Grow up. Get some skin. So you get hurt. And then you get offended. And then you get focused on your offense. And you get focused on your offense, and then you think to yourself, you know what, they're all going to hurt me like that person hurt me. They're all going to offend me like that person offends me. And so then what happens is that your past offenses begin to inform your future. And before you know it, all you can think of is offenses. And there are a lot of people who will not go back to church ever, ever, ever again, because all they can think of is how many times they've been hurt. And the offenses keep informing their new offenses, forming their new offenses. You see, don't, don't you realize that they tend to see what you're looking for? Have you ever noticed that? And sometimes that's all you see. So if you got up this morning and said, I'm going to look for blue shirts. I'm going to look for people wearing blue shirts. And, and, and I promise you, the room, I just took a glance, it's full of blue shirts. There are blue shirts everywhere. In fact, that's all I see now is people with blue shirts. Anybody not wearing blue shirt? You don't exist. Everybody's blue shirts. And the same thing with offenses. If you want to see hypocrites, go to church. We're full of hypocrites because that's what you are looking for. And you always see what you're looking for. And you come into this place and you're looking for goodness. Place is full of it. You, you, you're looking for kindness, places full of it. You look for people who have a sincere, all but broken faith and, and spiritual life. You'll find it. We tend to find what we are looking for. 
So if you're not careful and you get offended and you get stuck in this cycle where that's all you see, old pain informing new pain, then what happens is the seed of God's love and kindness and the word of life dies inside of you because that's really crappy soil. Actually, crappy soil would be good soil now that I think about it, but that's, that's, really, hard. that's really hard soil, right? So I want you to look at this verse in light of what I've just said. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, the Bible says, Give, and it'll be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For whatever measure you used, it will be measured to you. Now, if you've been in church for more than a year, somebody will have used this verse to tell you, verse to tell you how important it is to be generous. Because you know what? If you give, it'll be given to you. And then, well, that's absolutely true. It's a principle. But if you go to the two verses in front of this verse, it gives you the context for which um, Dr. Luke is talking to us. Two verses, verse 36 and verse 37 say this. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. This verse isn't talking about money. It's talking about giving mercy. It's talking about passing judgment. It's talking about expressing condemnation. And it's saying it so clearly. He's saying, however you treat people emotionally, relationally, whatever attitude you come into people's lives with, that will be measured back to you. People will treat you like you treat them. People will have, they'll pick up on your attitude and they will mirror your attitude. So if you are just tolerating people, it's only a matter of time before they just start tolerating you. With one exception. It's always more. He said it comes back pressed down, shaken together and flowing over. It always comes back more. So, if you walk around and actually your heart attitude is to give people the benefit of the doubt, how many times has this happened? Somebody cuts you off because they're either texting, you know, they cut you off, and, and, and you lay on the horn, idiot. What is the matter with you? You know, like, like they meant, you know what I mean? Their head is somewhere else, and you know, you know what, you, 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 you're treating them like, like they, 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 they hate you. They're texting. Is it right? No. Is it healthy or safe? No. They're texting. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Back up and just stay away from them. See, kindness, giving kindness and love over the long haul, over the long haul, and that's my caveat, over the long haul, will always come back to you. And you want to know something? Kindness, and my, my father was an incredibly generous man. For a poor painter... He gave away vehicles. He gave to whoever had need. My dad gave away to his own harm, to his own hurt. And I'm telling you, my brother and my two sisters and I, we have been blessed. And has give, people have given to us and blessed us and blessed us. To, we, the stories could go on and on and on. So whatever you set in motion, God even spills it over on your kids. But the same is true for giving judgment and criticism. If you can't find good in people, trust me, your kids are listening. 
Trust me, you think they don't hear, they hear everything. And when the dinner table talk is about criticism and judgment and demeaning and bad attitude, stinking thinking, you know something? It comes back on them. It's like this. Whatever's in the, somebody said, whatever's in the bucket comes up in the well. And whatever comes up in the bucket, so whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket. Did I say that wrong? Whatever's in the well comes up in the bucket. And whatever's in the bucket splashes over everything. And according to this scripture, everything that splashes everywhere comes back increased, back into the well. And so if the thing that you're splashing is toxic, if it smells, if it's critical, if it's negative, then you get it back 30-fold, goes back into the well, comes back up in the bucket, and then defiles everybody else, and it comes. Can you see that cycle? Maybe that's why Matthew said this, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, it'll be judged to you. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. I think it's important to note that there is a difference between identifying uh, someone's broken behavior and judging their broken behavior. You see somebody being an idiot, you just recognize that they're being an idiot. Um, and you're just observing their broken behavior. The difference between observing and judging is judging means that you assume that you know why they're behaving the way they are. And that is a very big difference. Um, Cheryl gave me this book called How to Stop the Pain. By the way, this book is amazing. Absolutely amazing. How to Stop the Pain by James Richards. And, and part of this talk, I, I just I, from reading the book, I'm going, wow, that is so powerful. And the second thing he says, the, 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 the measure of the offense on your life speaks to the significance that you've placed in that offense, those words spoken, and I'll get to that in a second. But judgment is when you assume that you know why the person did it, which is remarkable to me. Because I don't even know why I do half of the things I do for myself. How in the world am I supposed to be able to discern why you did what you did? Really, in so many ways, God is the only one who has the advantage point, that vantage point to judge. And when people assume they know the why, then the reactions are based on a judgment, not based on reality. Because the why is often very complicated. The why is often very deep-rooted. Um, when, uh, so I'm 18 years old. Out of high school, just flunked out of college. Um, first semester of college, and I decided to become, I, my, 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 in, in the home I lived in, there was no killing time, checking out the options. You either worked or you went to school. And so now I need to go to work. And there was a big construction company, company in Calgary in the 70s called New West Homes. And New West Homes, uh, they, they went right across Western Canada. And they were building literally hundreds of condominiums and hundreds of houses in Calgary in the 70s. And um, it just so happened that in my German church that I was raised in, quite a few of the men worked for this big company as tradesmen. And so it was a little bit of the path of least resistance. I went and I, and I got a job as a painter apprentice, okay? First year apprentice. 
And so I, I get on the job, and I'm, you know, you're just, you know, you size up the room. You figure out pretty quickly who has power, who does not, who's cool, who's not. And then you have to figure out where you fit in that food chain. And no matter how I did the math, I realized I was at the bottom of the food chain. It landed that way every time. And so uh, until I got to know some of the other guys on the crew, I, I would uh, find where the men the, who are 20 years older than I was uh, were eating, you know, from my church, were eating lunch, and I would sit in, in that unit, we eat lunch together. Now, when we were together, we always just spoke German because it was easier. And so they would tell stories, and I really loved that. By the way, that was one of the great joys of working construction because we're so multi-generational and you get so much uh, energy and, and, and from, from stories that happened long before you were born. And they were talking about one of the carpenters on the site, and his name was Adolf. Of course it was Adolf. Um, and Adolf um, uh, apparently wasn't very tall. And so um, in, in the conversation, they kept referring to this guy, uh, Adolf, as a, he was a Gartenzweck. So if, if you know German, that means he was a little garden gnome, okay? <laughs> and so they're talking about Adolf, the garden gnome, the little garden gnome, little garden gnome, whatever. And it was just lunch, so it was really uneventful, and I, that, that comes and goes. And then... Um, about a week, maybe even two weeks later, I'm, I'm working in, a, a economy, in one of the units, one of the townhouses, and the, the carpenter and I, we get along pretty good. He's German, so we're spend as much time talking German as English, and, uh, and, and, and he's short, really short, and it just happened, his name is Adolf. And, um, uh, uh, but I didn't clue in. Did I mention I was 18? Like, I, I didn't, didn't connect all the dots, actually. And uh, so I went home that night, and my father, I was telling him about my day and this and that. And I was told, told him about the, the carpenter. He goes, oh, you worked with the Gartenzwerk. And I goes, that's right. I think that in the, you worked with the garden gnome, the little garden gnome. I said, oh, yeah, that is. That's probably him, right? So the next day, so second day I'm working with this guy. I walk in. I'm really in a good mood. We have way more connection points now because my dad even knows who this guy is and blah, 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 blah. And so I walk into the unit and I go... Adolf, du kleiner Gartenzwerk, wie geht's? Basically, I said, Adolf, you little garden gnome, how the heck are you? And the look in his eye told me something. <laughs> this is the name they give him behind his back. Nobody gives him this name. And he about ripped my face off. You know what? Like, the tension in that unit was unbelievable. He hated me. He, obviously there was significance he placed on what I'd said, but he hated me. He said I was mean. He called me names that you, you, have to, you can't use in this place. And, 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 and I thought to myself, I'm not mean. I'm just immature. I just don't know when to shut my mouth. I just don't know how to make friends. That's what I am. And in so many ways, you see, you think that, see, judgment and offenses, they go hand in hand. But most offenses have nothing to do with you. That's that person just being that person. They, they just, they're not being mean. They're just being who they are. And that might, might not be highly developed as it relates to you. We, we assume that they're doing what they're doing because of us. But I'm telling you, it's not about you. It's not all about you. 
realize the fact that they're broken and that's just the way broken people behave, just like you do. The truth is we are so self-centered, egocentric that we think it's all about us. Some of you can't watch football because when they go into the huddle, you think they're talking about you. <laughs> they're not. They're playing football. And so Matthew is saying that if you continue to perpetuate this cycle where you are reaping judgment, focusing on pain, and then sowing judgment, which brings back more judgment. He says, none of that's going to stop until you actually give up the right to judge. You give up the right to judge. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. Judging and finding fault is a, is, a, is a product of fear. It's a product of a low self-esteem. It's a product of anger. I love this in Matthew 7, and I'm going to land here pretty quick. It says, why do you look for the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time that there's a plank in your eye? Jesus said, you hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye and you see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, there is a difference between helping and fixing. There's a difference between helping and fixing. Do you realize that you look at everything, you look at everyone through the lens of your own history, through the lens of your own story? You don't have perspective. You think you do, you live in the context of your story and maybe the stories of a couple people really close to you. But you filter your, how you see everybody through your own brokenness and your own opinions. And so when you begin to look at the pain in everybody else's eyes, I mean in everybody else's life and the junk and everything, you know what, quite frankly, you're actually just projecting some of your own junk onto them and identifying with that. It's not your job to point out people's faults. It's not your job to try and get anything out of anybody's eye. I don't want a blind person poking around in my eye and you're blind. You're blind by your own dysfunction. You're blind by your own brokenness. You're blind by your own stuff. So leave me alone. Finding fault is not the work of the Holy Spirit. You want to find, again, I said you find fault because that's what you're looking for. If you're looking for fault, you'll find it. But if you're looking for people's needs, you have amazing grace when it comes to their faults. Because their faults are simply symptomatic of their need. And I pray that we'd be a people that are aware of people's needs and get focused on their needs. And even when it comes to their needs, you know, the best thing that you can do is work on your own stuff. Make room in your life for God's grace and his healing and his peace. And you know what will happen? Then you become safe space for others to deal with their own stuff. And together we set our eyes and our focus on, on Christ. You see, the, the, the whole, in my understanding, the point of this parable of the sawdust and the plank is focus. It's all about focus. Everything we know about human behavior tells us that people are utterly transformed into whatever holds their attention. And if you cannot get past focusing on people's faults, 
You'll never ever be a minister. You'll never ever to be a, 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 a healing conduit to their needs. If you can't get past their faults, you'll never, you'll be stuck in them. Did you know that God isn't even focused on our faults? Did you know that God is focused? He's not, he's not here looking down at you going, oh, look at the sin rate in that person's life. Wow, the meter's spinning so fast I can barely read it. God is not focused on your sin. He's focused on, the fin- he's focused on you through the finished work of Christ. All he sees is righteousness, 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 righteousness. So why are you so focused on faults? Why are you so focused on sin? Why can't you get past someone's uh, personality and their, their quirkiness because it's not yours? So the best thing you can do for anybody else in this room is to take care of your problem. Put your focus on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of your life. See, when you focus on God's love and grace, that's the environment that makes room for healing, and that is the environment that produces soil that is receptive to the words, to the seeds of God. Do you remember in Matthew 8, last verse, the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I talked about this several months ago. When the Bible says, blessed are the pure in heart, you know what that word pure means? The the, the word we get from that is the word catheter. It's cathartic. It's a heart that that, that goes, okay, let it go. Stuff comes, attitudes come, judgments come. And you don't have to hold on to them. You can let them go. Somebody hurts you and you go, wow, that hurt. What a, let them go. Let it go. It's a cathartic heart, and a cathartic heart is good soil. If you're not holding on to that, you have room to hold on to the seeds of heaven when they are sown in your life, and one good seed will change your life. Let me pray for you. are sitting here and you have been holding on to a judgment I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith and let it go if you if you are holding on to a hurt and you can't get over it I'm going to invite you to surrender that to God make a way where there is no way for you to have a pure heart, a cathartic heart. And for the rest of us, if you can't think of any of those two things, then you're saints. Um, Let's just surrender our hearts and say, Father, I want to give you good soil. 2017, Father, would you you speak something? Would you give us a word? Would Would you plant something in our souls? That produces incredible increase. So, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we open our hearts and we lay them out before you. And, Father, you see the judgments. We ask you to forgive them. We ask you to forgive us for for placing ourselves in the place of a judge. And, Father, we release those people that have hurt us by faith right now. I don't feel like releasing them, but by faith we release those people, Father. We release them from our judgment. 
We ask you, Father, for our own hearts, would you bring wholeness? Father, we pray in Jesus' name that you would, we want to be good soil for your word. We want to be good soil for for the extraordinary things that you have purposed for us. We want our lives, Father, to increase 30, 60, and 100 fold. We want our grace to increase 30, 60, and 100 fold. Father, may we be a people that can forgive 30, 60, and 100 fold better than we did last year. Let us be a people that can love that much more and that can give that much more for your glory in Jesus' name.